So, would you consider yourself to be a lucky person? What is luck, by the way? Can you define the word luck? I looked it up. I don't think I've shared this with you before. I looked it up. Luck means it's a noun. It means the chance happening of fortunate events. Made me think of the word fortuitous. So I looked the word fortuitous up. It's an adjective. Something happening by chance. Made me think of the word serendipitous. So I looked it up. It's an adjective. Accidental, fortunate, chance, occurrence. Okay, so I'm not making any real progress here. So I looked up the word accident. It's a noun. Event occurring by chance. So I looked up the word chance. It's a noun. The abstract nature of the unexpected, unpredictable, random events. So I looked up random. It's an adjective. Having no specific pattern or objective. Haphazard. So I looked up haphazard. It's an adjective. Dependent upon uh, or characterized by mere chance. Coincidence. So I looked up coincidence. It's a noun. It's a state or fact of coinciding. Uh, which I don't understand that word. Uh, I mean, I understand what it means, but the, the, the definition is not very satisfying. Uh, made me think of fluke, so I looked up the word fluke. It's a noun. It's a stroke of good luck. So I still don't know. <laughs> I still don't know what luck is, um, unless yeah, in, in my view these definitions are quite cryptic. Um, so let me just cut to the heart of the matter. Christie's way ahead of me. Luck is nothing. Luck. Luck is nothing. Uh, luck, chance, random occurrences, coincidences, serendipitous events, flukes. These are all words that men use to talk about things they cannot explain or understand. That's all they are. Luck is a vacuous word, particularly for the Christian. It has no substance. Chance is nothing. Luck is nothing. It's a confession of our own ignorance. If it's anything at all. If I flip a coin in the air, which I don't seem to have one right now, that's okay. If I flip a coin in the air, is it chance whether it comes up heads or tails? Is it just sheer chance? Is it luck one way or the other? Well, if you think about it at all, you realize, no, it's all in the physics, right? It's just in the physics. It's where I release it. It's the weight of the coin. It's the the energy I put into the coin. It's the aerodynamics of the coin. It's where I catch it. It's all in the physics. We call it luck because we can't quantify it. We can't put uh, an equation on it. But it doesn't have anything to do with luck. It's all in the physics. We just simply can't perceive those physics and quantify them. It's just simple laws of physics. Luck is nothing. Of course, you know we're in the book of Esther, so most of you already know why I'm talking like this. 
Chance is nothing. It's a confession of ignorance. I challenge you, if you call yourself a Christian tonight, to purge it from your vocabulary. You don't need this word. This word means nothing. And if you call yourself a Christian, you shouldn't let unbelievers hear you use it. (laughs) There is no luck in the Christian's life. It's the sovereign providence of an awesome God. Amen? We don't talk like that. The Bible doesn't talk like that. And we shouldn't talk like that. Luck is nothing. Let me ask you, was Abraham and Sarah lucky that they had Isaac? I mean, they were old and she was barren. Would you call it luck? How does, the word, how does the Word of God speak about it? Was Joseph lucky in his rise to power in Egypt? Was Moses lucky that Pharaoh decided to let the Jews go? Was Joshua lucky in taking the promised land? Was David lucky standing in front of that giant? What does the Bible tell us? God is sovereign. We need to understand this, beloved. We've been, we've been talking about this. At least we've been flirting with it uh, in, in the pre, some of the previous sermons. God is a sovereign God. I want to challenge you as a believer. You don't need the word luck. Abraham and Sarah, Joshua, David, They weren't the beneficiaries of luck. They were the beneficiaries of a sovereign God who had a purpose in their lives and who accomplished that purpose. That's who you are tonight if you're a Christian. God is at work in your life to accomplish His sovereign purpose through your life. There's no such thing as luck for us. It's the providence of God. Psalm 103.19 His sovereignty rules over all. And you know what uh, the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1. That he works some things according to the counsel of his will, right? No? What does the text say? He works all things according to the counsel of his will. I don't need luck. I don't want luck. I will not use that word. I won't let an unbeliever hear me use that word. In one sense, it's almost blasphemous to use that word. Call yourself a Christian and use that word. It's almost blasphemous. It shows a complete lack of understanding of what the biblical message is. Our God is God. Our God is in control. This is a a truth that has been lost in... Much of what is called the modern church, God has presented, in, as you've heard me say many times, in a pathetic kind of way, like He's frustrated, He's stymied by Satan, He's stymied by men, He can't accomplish His, his purposes. Wrong! Read your Bibles. Read your Bibles. God does all that He pleases in heaven and earth. Basta! That He does, Right? If we believe our Bibles, He does. You know, I'd like to share with you from Isaiah. I've got a, just a couple of verses here that I want to share at random from the book of Isaiah. God says, I declare the end from the beginning. My purpose will be established. I will accomplish all my good pleasure. My word shall not return to me void without accomplishing what I desire, without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. 
For surely as I have intended, so it shall happen. And just as I have planned, so it will stand. Who can turn back the outstretched arms of God? Nobody. Nobody. We see it over. And then we see it in, we talked about Gideon. We saw it in the life of Gideon. Amen? We saw it in Job's life, in the hard providence. God is sovereign. You've heard me say it before, there's not one rogue molecule in all the universe. He controls the courses of the 400 plus billion galaxies and He controls the courses of the electron within the single cell. God is sovereign. And those two vast distinctions and everything in between. Our God is no empty suit, as my theology professor used to say. He's not an empty suit. He wields infinite power and authority. Everyone and everything obeys God. Ultimately. Ultimately. You know, Jesus Christ said it. I think we used this first a couple of weeks ago. Matthew 10.29 Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet, not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father... You know, we talked about it, I think it was a couple weeks ago, there are, you know, there are countless trillions of sparrows around the, around the earth. Not one will fall apart from the will of God. And you remember how the Lord Jesus finished that statement, Therefore, do not fear. You are far more valuable than the birds. Amen? And so one of the challenges I have for you tonight that I hope we'll take away from the book of Esther is that you will no longer entertain fear or anxiety. Does your circumstance look difficult? Does it look like a challenge? Does it, does it cause you anxiety? Listen, as we've been saying for the last month, your God is God in that circumstance. You just need to trust Him to do all His good pleasure in it. Fear is warranted if God is not sovereign, but He is. Our God is God and Nobody else is. I love what Daniel says. I know you've heard me say this verse probably a couple times in the last month. No one can stay the hand of God. He does as He pleases. And Psalm 115.3, Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever He pleases from amoebas to asteroids, from bacterium to black holes, from snails to supernovas, and from molecules to man. God is sovereign. It's fun to worship such a God. Amen? <laughs> I love it in, in the Scripture where He talks about Himself, where He just puts His Godness on display, His majesty on display, His sovereignty and infinite power on display. I love it. It's my Father. Right? That's my Father. That's my Father. So I want to encourage everyone in this room tonight, if you're a Christian, Leave your fear here. And if you're not a Christian, you come talk to me about becoming one. You leave your fear here tonight. You leave your anxiety here tonight. Your God is God. Whatever, whatever you see in 2014, your God is God. And your God's at work in your circumstance. We know that Romans 8.28 
is always true. We just talked about it a couple of weeks ago. Luke 12, Matthew 6. Do not keep worrying, Jesus says. Do not be anxious, Jesus says. Worry and anxious is simply unbelief. That's all it is. You can call it whatever you want. You can put some fancy names on it. It's simply unbelief. I don't believe God is who God says He is. I don't believe God can do what God says He can do. I don't trust God. So I'm going to worry. I'm going to wring my hands. And I'm going to burn a lot of energy on something that probably won't ever happen. You've seen the statistics, right? 98% of what you worry about never happens. God doesn't want you spending your energy on that, beloved. He wants you spending your energy worshiping Him and honoring Him and serving Him and magnifying Him in the world. That's what we're here to do. We're not here to wring our hands. In one sense, we're here to lift our hands. (laughs) You know, just if not literally figuratively in everything that we do. Let our worship of this awesome God be seen in every sphere of our life. You guys know the great song. Um, his eye, it's, it, it's, his, you know, it's the eye on the sparrow thing. The song goes, I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. Free from what? Every concern that the world must be concerned about. I don't have to be. Because my God is God. And the song goes on, His eye is on the sparrow and I know, oh, guess what? He's watching me too. (laughs) Don't you love it? What a great song. So the Lord has led me to the book of Esther. And Esther perfectly illustrates what we've been talking about this, this last month or so. God can be trusted. He can be trusted. He never leaves His people hanging. He always comes to His people. So we're going to cover ten chapters of narrative in just a few more minutes. Um, we'll, we'll blow through it pretty quickly. But I think some of you know there are two books in which, the, which, in which God is not mentioned. Do you know which two they are? Obviously, Esther's one of them. There's another. Anybody know? Pardon me? No? It's a good guess, though. Song of Solomon. There are two books in which God is not... Is God is, God's name is not mentioned. But what I love about this is in, in the book of Esther, <laughs> he's the main character, <laughs> right? Oh, guess what? The same thing's true in your life, whether you believe it or not, whether you acknowledge it or not. God is the main character in your life. Whether you, whether you humbly bow in submission to Him or not, God is sovereign in your life. God is the main character in this book. And He's doing all this invisible stuff that nobody can understand or see. (laughs) Oh, that's what He's doing in your life too. All this invisible stuff that you can't even see right now. You can't even begin to parse or understand it. God's doing all kinds of invisible things in your life right now. Don't you love that? 
Stop worrying. We read it in the Psalms. Our God does not slumber. He does not sleep. His eye is on you every nanosecond <laughs> of your existence on this planet. One more verse and then we'll move into the text. You guys know this great verse. 1 John 4.18 There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. We've been talking about recently just how much we are loved. Infinitely, everlastingly, omnipotently, perfectly we are loved. If you are entertaining fear, beloved, it's just unvarnished unbelief. So I'm going to call you tonight to repent if you're still one who wants to entertain fear and anxiety, I call you tonight to repent of that sin. God means for us to come away from the book of Esther knowing He is intimately involved in all the invisible things we cannot see and understand. Chapter 1, uh, I'm going to call him Xerxes. That's his Greek name. It's easier for me than... Azharias, I think. That's his Hebrew name. And of course, he has a Persian name. But I'm going to call him, for, for the sake of my Arkansan dialect, I'm going to call him Xerxes. Okay? So Xerxes, he's the king of Persia. And he has a, a, great, a great feast and banquet. A hundred and seven days, I think, total. If my math is correct, I'll get Mark to check that for me. He wants Queen Vashti to come. She's obviously his queen. She wants, he wants her to, to, to come to the, to the banquet, but, but she refuses. This is chapter 1, 13-17. And she, you know, the wise men are concerned that, that Queen Vashti's conduct will set a bad precedent for all wives that they will not properly honor, honor their husbands as they should. So Xerxes talks to his counselors, and the counselors say, you need to replace her. If that's the kind of example she's going to set for, the, set for the women in Persia, you need to replace her. So in chapter 2, verse 2, they said, let all the beautiful young virgins be sought for the king. Now, King Xerxes thought this was a great idea. And so this was his decree. Let all of the beautiful virgins come to him that he may choose a new, a new queen. Chapter 2, verse 4, the matter pleased the king. Now Esther was a Jewish orphan exile raised by her cousin Mordecai. Chapter 2 verse 7 tells us that she was beautiful of form and face. And she was one of the many virgins taken into the king's palace. Chapter 2 verse 9 tells us that Esther found favor with the head eunuch. And chapter 2 verse 12 tells us that she began her 12 months of beautification. Man, you know these women must have really looked good, right? I looked at this. Six months of oil of myrrh and six months of spices and cosmetics. Mama, man. I mean, you talk about overkill, right? Okay, so she had this 12-month thing. So now I'm in chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Chapter 2, 16 and 17. So Esther was taken by Xerxes to his royal palace in the 10th month which is the month of Tebeth in the seventh year of his reign. Verse 17, And the king loved Esther more than all the women, and she found favor and kindness with him more than all the virgins. 
so that He set His royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. What good luck from Jewish orphan exile to queen of Persia. Wow! What a fortuitous, serendipitous chance event. Right? What do you think? God is positioning Esther. That's what He's doing in your life too. You say, well Jim, I just have this simple job down here. You are there because God wants you to be there and do His will there. You say, well Jim, I'm, I'm a housewife. God wants you to be there and raise those kids loving Jesus Christ and, and making a, 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 a God-honoring marriage with your husband. You say, well Jim, I, 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 don't, I don't really have anything important to do. Wrong! You're a Christian. You're a disciple of Jesus Christ. And you are in the place you're in because He has purpose for you to be there to magnify His Son. Don't you ever doubt it. That's what's happening here with Esther, and that's what happens with every true believer. You get to the end of chapter 2, uh, verses 21 and, and, and 23, and Mordecai discovers that there's this plot to, to kill the king, and he, he reveals this plot. This plot is recorded in the Chronicles, and then by and large it's forgotten, but it's going to come back if you know the story. Uh, this this act by Mordecai will, will come back up again. Chapter 3, Haman is an Agagite. He rises in power and position. And everybody's paying homage to him except Mordecai. I'm not going to go into the story. There's a thousand years of bad blood between the Jews and the Agagites. So I'm not going to go into all that. You can study it for yourself if you want. But, but Haman is, is, is outraged that Mordecai will not bow to him. As you move on through chapter 3, Haman convinces Xerxes that the Jews need to be purged. We're talking about genocide. He wants them all. He doesn't just want, obviously, this is satanic, demonic. He doesn't just want Mordecai, he wants them all. And Xerxes seems to be kind of a, yeah, I don't know. He just says, okay. He gives Haman the authority to annihilate the Jews. Of course, nobody knows that Esther is a Jew at this point. Nobody knows. So Mordecai, chapter 4, he learns of Haman's plans and he gets word to Queen Esther. And as the text that I read to you earlier, he tells Esther that she's got to go to the king and plead for her people. And Esther says, I can't just go in there. I could be subject to death. Nobody just goes in to see the king. This is not how it's done. You must be summoned. I could be killed. And then maybe, of course, these are the, probably the most famous verses in the book. Mordecai says, Who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this? Well, of course she has, right? Of course she's attained royalty for such a time as this. And then Esther says, she asks for prayer. She says, I will do it. And maybe the most famous verse in the book, if I perish, I perish. Amen? My God is sovereign. If I perish, 
I perish. My days are numbered as before there was yet one. Psalm 139. Beloved, you can't go out one day sooner than God has ordained. Or one day later, actually. Our days are numbered. This is the Word of God. We can be fearless for the days we have upon the planet. We don't have to be afraid of anything. We're not going out one day sooner than God has purposed for us. But I love, I love what she says. <laughs> she says, if I perish, I perish. But I like what happens here. What, what does Mordecai say? Mordecai says deliverance will come. If you don't do it, deliverance will come. Why does he know that deliverance will come? Why does he know this is, that, that that will happen? Because he believes the Word of God. God had made a promise to Abraham. God had made a promise to David. Back in Genesis and in 2 Samuel, it's an everlasting covenant. The Messiah would come through the Jews. Mordecai knows the Jews will not be annihilated. Why? Because his God is God. That's why. He knows. It, cannot, it, it, it can't happen. Mordecai, Mordecai says God will deliver His people. It cannot not happen. God's Word does not come back to Him void. He accomplishes all His good pleasure. So, I hope after the sermons of the last few months, you believe and understand and are living the, the, the reality that God is for you. That's one thing we've been talking about. God is not only God, God is radically for His people. He's made a radical commitment to you. You are His. You're redeemed by Him. You're indwelt by Him. Your inheritance comes from Him. And all He says in return is, Be My disciple. Be My disciple. Mordecai says, You've been positioned for this. You've been positioned for, for this. Beloved, there's a God purpose in, in your life, wherever you are, whatever you do, there's a God purpose in it. God hasn't forgotten about any of His children. There's a God purpose in it. You know, I tell people all the time, you're not, you, you, don't, you don't end up in this church by accident. <laughs> God's brought you from somewhere uh, the far reaches of the earth and He's brought you here. This is not an accident. He's brought you here because He has something for you to do here. You know, I know many men come and they think it's about their job. Well, that's the pretext for you being here. It's not really about your job. I hope none of you men think it's about your job. And I hope, some of you women, I hope you don't just simply think it's about following my husband. And some of you students, I hope you don't just think, well, it's about me getting an education. I hope that's not what you think it's about. It's about something much bigger than that. It's about what God wants to do in you in Milan. That's what it's about. That's what it's always about. Whether you're in Milan or Madrid or Houston or whatever, Hong Kong, it doesn't matter. That's what it's always about. And this is what I think in part we're learning here. I hope that we understand it's not an accident. When we find ourselves in a place, it's not an accident. 
And I hope we, we've made ourselves available to be used of God. I love this perishing thing. If I perish, I perish. Psalm 139, I already shared it with you. God has ordained our days. Psalm 116, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His godly ones. It's like Esther saying, man, you know, it's precious in the eyes of the Lord if I perish. Psalm 63, 3, the loving kindness of the Lord is better than life. The love of God is better than living. In the verse I share with you all the time, Philippians 1.21, Paul says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. That's, Paul says, that's who I am, that's how I live. And so I, I project that onto you. As God projects it onto me, that's our, that's our, that's our course. To live is Christ. If I live, I magnify Christ. If I die, I go to be with Christ. Everything else is a big number two. It's way down here. Down here. Compared, compared to the fact that to live is Christ and to die is gain. Chapter 5, Esther goes to Xerxes and by a stroke of luck he receives her. Chapter 5, verse 8, Esther uh, asks for a... Well, she asks to have a, um, a banquet with the king and with Haman. And as we get to, I think it's verse 8, yes. They have the banquet, but she delays. This is not explained. She delays one day. She says, I'll, let's do it again tomorrow. Let's talk tomorrow. So she delays for one day. Again, it's not explained in the text. But luckily, the king couldn't sleep. You know the story, right? And he had the Chronicles read to him. Oh, guess what was read to him out of the Chronicles? Now you know, the backdrop here is Haman wants to kill Mordecai. Haman wants to kill all the Jews. That's the backdrop. Oh, what, what is read to the king out of the Chronicles? It's when Mordecai foiled that plot isn't this lucky for Mordecai? The king is hearing how Mordecai served him and, and saved, possibly saved his life. Xerxes says, what has been done for this man? And the historian says, nothing. <laughs> so, so um, of course, the king wants to honor Mordecai. I'm in verse, I'm in chapter 6, verse 4. Now, someone has come into the court. The king says, Who is this in the court? It's Haman. He just entered the outer court of the king's palace in order to speak to the king about hanging Mordecai on the gallows which he prepared for him. I failed to mention that Mordecai, at the counsel of his wife, has built a, a gallows. Pardon me. Haman has built a gallows for Mordecai to hang him on. 75 foot. So Haman comes into the court right after Xerxes has heard about Mordecai's good deed to him. And I'm in chapter 6. And so Haman comes in and the king says, What is to be done for the man who I desire to honor? And Haman said to himself, Well, he must want to honor me. Verse 7. Then Haman said to the king, For the man who the king desires to honor... Let him bring a royal robe which the king has worn and the horse which the king has ridden 
and on whose head a royal crown has been placed, and let the robe and the horse be handed over to the one, the king, uh, one of the king's most noble princes, and let them array the man whom the king desires to honor, and lead him on horseback through the city square, and proclaim before him, Thus it shall be done to the man whom the king desires to honor. Verse 10 of Esther chapter 6. Then the king said to Haman, Quickly do this for Mordecai. Haman was coming in to ask for Mordecai, to kill him. And he leaves having to honor Mordecai. What a lucky guy, right? Now, Haman was a prince. He was a noble. So there's little doubt that, that, that uh, Xerxes would have given Haman his request for Mordecai's life. Isn't this lucky? Isn't this serendipitous? Isn't this fortuitous? Isn't this wonderful that it's happened this way? The queen, they come back for a second banquet and the queen reveals the plot of Haman to commit genocide against the Jews. And she pleads for her people and Xerxes says, who would do such a thing? And Esther said, it's this wicked Haman. <laughs> oh, guess who ended up hanging on the gallows Haman built for Mordecai? Haman is hanged. And oh, guess what? Now I'm in chapter 8. All the property of Haman was given to Mordecai. Oh, guess what? Mordecai becomes the vice president of Persia. Oh, guess what? Chapter 8, verse 17. I love this. And many among the peoples of the land became Jews, for the dread of the Jews had fallen on all of them. You see? Do you see what's happening? God had positioned Esther. He positioned Mordecai. He used Mordecai and Esther to save His people. And He's drawing converts to Himself. God is drawing people to Himself through this complex set of events. Xerxes chapter 8 uh, authorizes Mordecai to issue a decree giving the Jews the right to defend themselves. And they do defend themselves. And they destroy their enemies. In chapter 9, 1 through 5. Verse 5. The Jews struck all their enemies with the sword, killing and destroying. And they did not, and they did what they pleased to those who hated them. As I was reading this text, it reminded me of what we talked about several weeks ago, several weeks ago with Kadesh Barnea. You remember the Jews wouldn't go in. They were afraid to go in. Anybody remember what Josh, Joshua and Caleb said? One of the things they said, I made much of it several weeks ago. They <laughs> said, we'll do it. We can go in. We can because our God's God. But he's, you remember what he said? He said, he said uh, the Lord shall turn our fear into our prey. Right? That's what happened here. The Jews were going to be annihilated, but because of lucky events... They weren't annihilated. They annihilated their enemies. God turned 
the fear of the Jews into their prey. He does that in your life too. I shared with you. I've had this experience. I've been a Christian 30 years. Things that I once feared, I no longer fear. God has given me victory over them. I know that God is bigger than those fears. This is what God does in the life of His children. God saved the Jews. He saved His people. They were never in any real danger because He does not slumber and He does not sleep. And His promise is always good. Chapter 9, verse 22, Mordecai established a celebration for the Jews called Purim. Let me read here 9.22, because the Jews rid themselves of their enemies, it was a month which was turned, listen, from sorrow to gladness and from mourning to holiday. Do you understand? You say, Jim, I'm in the midst of sadness. I'm in the midst of mourning. Okay, there is a time to mourn. But God will make you whole. God will bring you through it. Say, Jim, I'm in a hard place right now. You don't understand. I know, but God does. And God needs to bring you through it stronger and better. God has a purpose. We've talked about it many, many times. God has... He's always doing a billion things at once. He has a purpose in what's going on in your life. What you and I need to do is submit to His authority and His sovereignty and His, His, His providence in our life. Allow Him to teach us lay His hands on us, change us, burn off the dross, bring us into conformity with Jesus, move on in our sanctification, all the things that God is actively doing in our lives. Haman was going to get Mordecai. He was going to kill him. But the king couldn't sleep. And the chronicles were read to him yeah, if you read this story and you're an unbeliever, you certainly think it's an accidental, fortuitous chance occurrence. But you remember in the Exodus, God put His power on display for everyone to see as He delivered His people with a breathtaking display of His omnipotence. In Esther, God puts His invisible supernatural sovereignty on display and He delivers His people and His providential control over all things is clearly seen. I shared with the young adults Thursday night, and I want to share it again. I won't butcher it quite so bad tonight. Karen was reading this book. Uh, I don't remember. Yeah, the author's name is Jeannie Allen. She, said, she quotes an African missionary. It says this, We have to thank God for the seemingly good and the seemingly bad because really, we don't know the difference right now. Amen? We don't have enough insight and wisdom to know if this hard thing that's come, we, we don't have the ability to call it good or bad. It's the providence of God. It's the providence of God. It's what we see. Through... This great evil, this evil of Haman wanting to kill all the Jews, God removed all the enemies of the Jews. <laughs> it wasn't bad, it was good. It looked bad, but it was good. Beloved, we need to see this truth and reality when it comes 
to the Lord. It made me think of Elijah, that great text in 2 Kings. You remember Elijah's servant was, was all worked up in a lather, man. He said, we're going to be slaughtered. And Elisha said, Lord, open his eyes. And what did the servant see? Does anybody remember? An angelic army. Man, I think about this all the time. All, I, I think about this. How many times the Lord has saved me? It's, it, it, we can't count it. We don't, we don't know how many times He's delivered me. Many times when I'm driving in Italy. Um, <laughs> the Lord has delivered me. And there are other applications as well. Beloved, whatever you fear, God is sovereign in it. I want us to take that home with us tonight. I want us to be encouraged. You know, Karen and I were talking just the other day about we have various friends with various issues and we counsel them about these various issues. But you know what the real issue is for every one of them is they need God. They just need to be still and know that He is God. That's really all anyone ever needs. You call yourself a Christian? Be still and know He's God. Submit your marriage to God. Raising your kids to God. Your studies to God. Your relationships to God. Your travels to God. Submit it to God. Submit it to God. Your career. Your money. Your portfolio. Submit it to God. It's His anyway. And you're His steward. And we're all going to give an account, beloved. We're all going to give an account. The second thing I want you to take home, and I'm done. I'm sorry I didn't look at the... I don't know what time I started. I'm just going to end. 2 Chronicles 16.9. You guys know this famous verse. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the whole earth that He may strongly support those whose heart is completely His. I challenge you, beloved. Leave your fear here tonight. Leave it all here. You don't need it. Stop talking about luck. There's no such thing as luck. The word is vacuous. The word means nothing. Your God is sovereign. He's at work in your life. And ultimately, whatever your fear is, God is sovereign over it and He'll turn it into your prey. If you believe Him, if you trust Him, if you obey Him, yeah, we've been saying it a lot. (laughs) We have every license to obey the Lord with glad, reckless joy. You have no excuse not to go out that door and obey God with glad, reckless joy every single day for the rest of your life. That's why you're still here. That's why you're still here. Obey the Lord with glad, reckless joy. You can because He is God. Let's pray together. Lord, thank You for this beautiful account. You are at work in all the invisible things. Father, forgive us when we allow ourselves to be full of fear and anxiety like like the unbelieving world. When we live on such a low plane that we don't look up, that we don't allow ourselves to constantly be still and be in awe of what a great God You are, a God who can be trusted, a competent God, A God who is always doing Romans 8.28. Every day in my life, Romans 8.28. Father, we confess we are people. We don't know if it's a bad day or a good day with respect to an eternity. We can't begin to parse that, but You know.
And we trust You in it, Lord. We trust You in it. What a great sovereign God You are. We proclaim Your greatness, Lord. We give our lives to You. Use us up, Lord. Use us up in the workplace. Use us up at the university. Use us up at home. Use us up that Jesus will be magnified. That Jesus will be seen. That Jesus will be known. And Jesus will be loved. We know that's why You've left us here, Lord. I pray we would be fearless for the few moments we have left on this planet. We give all praise, glory, and honor to His matchless and beautiful name. The name of Jesus. Amen. Shall we? Let's, uh, yeah, let's sing a chorus here to close with.